to chapter twenty two of robert falconer by george macdonald this librivox recording is in the public domain robert falconer by george macdonald chapter twenty two robert in action it was late when he left his friend as he walked through the gallow gate an ancient narrow street full of low courts some one touched him upon the arm he looked round it was a young woman he turned again to walk on mr falconer she said in a trembling voice which robert thought he had heard before he stopped i don't know you he said i can't see your face tell me who you are she returned no answer but stood with her head aside he could see that her hands shook what do you want with me if you won't say who you are i want to tell you something she said but i cannot spake here come with me i won't go with you without knowing who you are or where you're going to take me do not ye know me she said pitifully turning a little towards the light of the gas lamp and looking up in his face it cannot be jessie hewson said robert his heart swelling at the sight of the pale worn countenance of the girl i was jessie hewson once she said but naebody here knows me by that name but yoursel will you come in there's no crater in the hoose but mysel robert turned at once go on he said she led the way up a narrow stone stair between two houses a door high up in the gable admitted them the boards bent so much under his weight that robert feared the floor would fall bide ye there sir till i fess a light she said this was robert's first introduction to a phase of human life with which he became familiar afterwards mind who you gone sir she resumed returning with the candle there's nae floor in there hold in the middle after me or you'll gone throw she led him into a room with nothing in it but a bed a table and a chair on the table was a half-made shirt in the bed lay a tiny baby fast asleep it had been locked up alone in the dreary garret. Robert approached to look at the child, for his heart felt very warm to poor Jessie. A bonny bairnie, he said. Is not he, sir? Think of him coming to me. Nobody can tell the mercy of it. Is not it strange that the very sin should bring an angel from heaven upon the back of it to uphold and restore the sinner? folk think it's a punishment but eh me it's a merciful one it's a wonder he did not think shame to come to me but he came to bear my shame robert wondered at her words she talked of her sin with such a meek openness she looked her shame in the face and acknowledged it hers had she been less weak and worn perhaps she could not have spoken thus but what am i about she said checking herself I did not fess ye here to spake aboot myself. He's after more mischief, and if anything could be done to hold him from it. What's after mischief, Jessie? interrupted Robert. Lord Rothie, he's gone off the night in Skipper Hornbeck's boat to Antwerp, I think they call it, and a bonny young lady with him. They were to sail with the first of the moonlight. Surely I'm or late she added going to the window nay the moon cannot be up yet 
Nay, said Robert, I don't think she rises muckle afore twa o'clock the night. But who know ye? Are ye sure of it? It's an awful thing to think o'. To convince ye, I maun just tell ye the truth. The hoose we're in has not a good character. We're middlin' decent up here, but the floor of the place is dreadful. F for the bonny lays of body fall. If ye see my father, tell him I'm none war than I was. They think you'd run it in the direst pot, as they call it. There I am again, she said, miles away and nae time to be lost. My lord has a man they call Mitchell. Or well, I know him. There's a woman doing the stair at he comes to see whiles, and twa or three nights ago I heard them laughing together. Say I hearkened. They were both some drunk, I'm thinking. I could not tell ye all at they said. That's a punishment, new if ye like, to see and hear the worst of ye own ill doings. He tellt the limmer a heap of his lord's secrets. I he tellt her about me, and who I had gone and droned myself. I could hear most ilka word at he said, for ye see the floor in here is no very soon, and I was just at I could not help hearkening. My lord's off the night, as I tell ye. It's a queer way, but a quite, he thinks, nae doot. If anybody would but tell her whom money in the barns made sore with Graydon. But who's that to be done, said Robert? I did not know, but I have been watching to see you ever since sign. I have seen you going by money a time. You're the only man I know at I could speak till about it. You mount think what ye can do. The worst of it is I cannot tell what she is or where she bides. In that case, I cannot see what's to be done. Could not you watch them aboard and slip a letter into her hand? Or you could give it to the skipper to give her? I know the skipper weel enough. He's a respectable man. If he knew what the baron was after, he would not take him on board. That would do little good. He would only have her off some other way. Weel, said Robert, rising, I'll away home and think about it as I go. Would you take a few shillings from an old friend, he added, with he hesitation, putting his hand in his pocket. Na, no, Bobby, she answered. Nobody shall say it was for myself I brought ye here. Come after me and mind where ye put doon your feet. It's no sicker. She led him to the door. He bade her good night. Take care ye did not fall going doon the stair. It's most as steep as alway. As Robert came from between the houses, he caught a glimpse of a man in a groom's dress going in at the street door of that he had left. All the natural knighthood in him was roused. But what could he do? To write was a sneaking way. He would confront the baron. The baron and the girl would both laugh at him. The sole conclusion he could arrive at was to consult Shargar. He lost no time in telling him the story. I told you he was up to some devilry or other, said Shargar. I can show you the very horse he mount be going to take her from. You ratch! What for did not you tell me that afore? You would not hear about other folk's affairs. Nay, not you, but some folk has no right to consideration. The very stones they sail crawl out ill secrets like Brother Sandy's. What's whose is it? I did not ken. 
I only saw him come out of it once, and Jock Mitchell was hauled in Black Geordie ruined the nook. It cannot be far from Mr. Lindsay's at you and Mr. Ericson used to go to. Come and let me see it directly, cried Robert, starting up with a terrible foreboding at his heart. They were in the street in a moment. Shargar led the way by a line to the top of the hill on the right, and then turning to the left brought him to some houses standing well apart from each other. It was a region unknown to Robert. They were the backs of the houses of which Mr. Lindsay's was one. This is the house, said Shargar. Robert rushed into it. He knocked at the door. Mr. Lindsay's Jenny opened it. Is your mistress in, Jenny? He asked at once. Nay, I. The master's gone to Boar's Castle. It's Miss Lindsay I want to see. She's up in her own room with a sick headache. Robert looked her hard in the face and knew she was lying. I want to see her very particular, he said. Well, you cannot see her, returned Jenny angrily. I'll tell her anything you like. Concluding that little was to be gained by longer parley, but quite uncertain whether Mysie was in the house or not, Robert turned to Shargar, took him by the arm, and walked away in silence. When they were beyond earshot of Jenny, who stood looking after them, "'You're sure that's the horse, Shargar,' said Robert quietly. "'As sure as death, and may be sure, for I saw him come out with my own eyes. "'Weel, Shargar, it's grown something awful new. "'It's Miss Lindsay. "'Was there ever such a villain as that Lord Rothie, that brother of yours?' "'I disown him from this very war,' said Shargar solemnly. "'Something mound be done. "'We'll away to the wharf and see what'll turn up.' I wonder who's the tide. The tide's rising. They'll never try to run oot till it's slack water. Fur by at the amphitrite, for as breads she is, and her bows modelled after the cheeks of the resurrection cherub upon a gravestand, draws a heap of water, and the bar they say's worse to win or nor usual. It's been gathering again. As they spoke, the boys were making for the new town eagerly. Just opposite where the amphitrite lay was a public house. Into that they made up their minds to go, and there to write a letter, which they would give to Miss Lindsay if they could, or, if not, leave with Skipper Hornbeck. Before they reached the river, a thick rain of minute drops began to fall, rendering the night still darker, so that they could scarcely see the vessels from the pavement on the other side of the wharf, along which they were hurrying to avoid the cables rings and stones posts that made its margin dangerous in the dim light when they came to the smack inn they crossed right over to reach the amphitrite a growing fear kept them silent as they approached her berth it was empty they turned and stared at each other in dismay one of those amphibious animals that loiter about the borders of the water was seated on a stone smoking probably fortified against the rain by the whisky inside him Where's the amphitrite, Alan? asked Shargar, for Robert was dumb with disappointment and rage. Half doon to stain hive by this time, I'm thinking, answered Alan. For a brewing tub like her, she fumbles away nae ill with elect win astern of her. 
but I'm doobtin' afore she gets across the heron pot, her fine passengers will get at the bottom of their stomachs. It's like to blaw a bonnet full, and she rose awful in only wind. I did not think she could capsize, but for Wamland she's wore Nora Bairn with the grips. In absolute helplessness, the boys had let him talk on. There was nothing more to be done, and Alan was in a talkative mood. Fegs, if it come on to blow, he resumed, I would not wonder if they got the skipper to set them ashore at Stainhive. I heard old Horney say something aboot lying to there for a bit to take a keg or something aboard. The boys looked at each other, bade Alan good night, and walked away. Who far is it to Stonehaven, Shargar? said Robert. I did not rightly know. Maybe fra twelve to fifteen miles. Robert stood still. Shargar saw his face pale as death and contorted with the efforts to control his feelings. Shargar, he said, what am I to do? I vowed to Mr. Ericson that, if he died, I would look after that bonny lassie, and knew when he's lying all but dead I have let her slip through my fingers with clean carelessness. What am I to do? If I could only get to Stonehaven afore the amphitrite, I could go aboard with the keg, and if I could do nothing more, I would have tried to do my best. If I do nothing, my heart'll break with the weight of my shame. Shargar burst into a roar of laughter. Robert was on the point of knocking him down, but took him by the throat as a milder proceeding, and shook him. Robert, Robert, gurgled Shargar, as soon as his choking had overcome his merriment. You're an awful highland man, hearken to me. I beg your pardon. What I was thinking of was... Robert relaxed his hold, but Shargar, notwithstanding the lesson Robert had given him, could hardly speak yet for the enjoyment of his own device. If we could only get rid of Chalk Mitchell, he crowed and burst out again. He's with a woman in the Gallagate, said Robert. Bosh, man, exclaimed Shargar, and started off at full speed. He was no match for his companion, however. Where the devil are you running to, you scarecrow? panted Robert, as he laid hold of his collar. Let me go, Robert, gasped Shargar. Losh, man, you'll be on Black Geordie in another ten minutes, and me behind ye upon Reed Rory. And faith, if we be not at Stanhive afore the Dutchman with his bottom foremost, it'll be the fault of the horse and no of the men. Robert's heart gave a bound of hope. Who ill ye get them, Shargar? he asked eagerly. Steal them, answered Shargar, struggling to get away from the grasp still upon his collar. We might be hanged for that. Weel, Robert, I'll take all the white of it. If it had not been for you, I might have been hanged by this time for ill-doing. For your sake, I'll be hanged for weel-doing, and welcome. Come away, to steal a merch upon Brother Sandy with eight horse-hooves of his own. Ha, ha, ha! They sped along now, running themselves out of breath, now walking themselves into it again, until they reached a retired hostelry between the two towns. Warning Robert not to show himself, Shargar disappeared round the corner of the house. Robert grew weary, and then anxious. At length Shargar's face came through the darkness. "'Robert,' he whispered, "'give us your cap. I'll be with ye in a moment, now.' Robert obeyed, too anxious to question him. In about three minutes more, Shargar reappeared, leading what seemed the ghost of a black horse, for Robert could see only his eyes, and his hoofs made scarcely any noise. 
How he had managed it with a horse of Black Geordie's temper I do not know, but some horses will let some persons do anything with them. He had drawn his own stockings over his forefeet and tied their two caps upon his hind hooves. Lead him away quietly up the rue till I come to ye, said Shargar, as he took the mufflings off the horse's feet. And mind it he does not take a nip of ye. He's some ill for biting. I'll be after ye directly. Rory saddled and bridled. He only wants his carpet shoon. Robert led the horse a few hundred yards away, then stopped and waited. Shargar soon joined him, already mounted on Red Roderick. Here's your cap, Robert. It's some foul, I do it, but I could not help it. Go on, man. Up with ye. Maybe I would have better keep it Geordie myself. But ye can ride. Once you're on, he cannot bite ye. But Robert needed no encouragement from Shargar. In his present mood he would have mounted a griffin. He was on horseback in a moment. They trotted gently through the streets and out of the town. Once o'er the D, they gave their horses the rein, and off they went through the dark drizzle. Before they got halfway, they were wet to the skin, but little did Robert or Shargar either care for that. Not many words passed between them. "'Who'll ye get the horses in again, Shargar?' asked Robert. "'Fore I get them back,' answered Shargar, "'they'll be tired enough to go home of themselves. "'If we had only had the luck to meet Jock, that would have been grand. "'What for that? "'I would have cawed Red Rory o'er the head of him "'and left him lean, the coarse villain.' "'The horses never flagged till they drew up in the main street of Stonehaven.' Robert ran down to the harbour to make inquiry and left Shargar to put them up. The moon had risen, but the air was so full of vapour that she only succeeded in melting the darkness a little. The sea rolled in front, awful in its dreariness, under just light enough to show a something unlike the land. But the rain had ceased and the air was clearer. Robert asked the solitary man with the telescope in his hand whether he was looking out for the amphitrite. The man asked him gruffly in return what he knew of her. Possibly the nature of the keg to be put on board had something to do with his Scotch reply. Robert told him he was a friend of the captain, had missed the boat, and would give any one five shillings to put him on board. The man went away and returned with the companion. After some further questioning and bargaining, they agreed to take him. Robert loitered about the pier full of impatience. Shargar joined him. Day began to break over the waves. They gleamed with the blue-gray leaden sheen. The men appeared, coming along the harbor, and descended by a stair into a little skiff, where a barrel, or something like one, lay under a tarpaulin. Robert bade Shargar good-bye and followed. They pushed off, rowed out into the bay, and lay on their oars, waiting for the vessel. The light grew apace, and Robert fancied he could distinguish the two horses with one rider against the sky, on the top of the cliffs, moving northwards. Turning his eyes to the sea, he saw the canvas of the brig, and his heart beat fast. The men bent to their oars. She drew nearer and lay to. When they reached her, he caught the rope the sailors threw, was on board in a moment, and went aft to the captain. The Dutchmen stared. In a few words, Robert made him understand his object, offering to pay for his passage, but the good man would not hear of it. He told him that the lady and gentleman had come on board as brother and sister. The baron was too knowing to run his head into the noose of Scotch law. 
i cannot throw him over the board said the skipper and what am i to do i am afraid it is of no use ah poor thing by this time the vessel was under way the wind freshened mysie had been ill ever since they left the mouth of the river now she was much worse before another hour passed she was crying to be taken home to her papa still the wind increased and the vessel laboured much robert never felt better and if it had not been for the cause of his seafaring would have thoroughly enjoyed it he put on some sea-going clothes of the captain's and set himself to take his share in working the brig in which he was soon proficient enough to be useful when the sun rose they were in a tossing wilderness of waves with the sunrise robert began to think he had been guilty of a great folly for what could he do how was he to prevent the girl from going off with her lover the moment they landed but his poor attempt would verify his willingness the baron came on deck now and then looking bored he had not calculated on having to nurse the girl had mysie been well he could have amused himself with her for he found her ignorance interesting as it was he felt injured and indeed disgusted at the result of the experiment on the third day the wind abated a little but towards night it blew hard again and it was not until they reached the smooth waters of the skelt that mysie made her appearance on deck looking dreadfully ill and altogether like a miserable unhappy child her beauty was greatly gone and lord rothie did not pay her much attention robert had as yet made no attempt to communicate with her for there was scarcely a chance of her concealing a letter from the baron but as soon as they were in smooth water he wrote one telling her in the simplest language that the baron was a bad man who had amused himself by making many women fall in love with him and then leaving them miserable he knew one of them himself having finished his letter he began to look abroad over the smooth water and the land smooth as the water he saw tall poplars the spires of the forest and rows of round-headed dumpy trees like domes and he saw that all the buildings like churches had either spires like poplars or low round domes like those other trees the domes gave an eastern aspect to the country the spire of antwerp cathedral especially had the poplar for its model the pinnacles which rose from the base of each successive start of its narrowing height were just the clinging upright branches of the poplar a lovely instance of art following nature's suggestion End. chapter twenty two